Welcome to the Center Ranch Church Weekly Podcast. We believe that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Here's this week's message. Well, we started a new series last week that we're calling Who Told You You're Naked? And we started off in Genesis chapter 3. The story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, it's paradise, it's wonderful, but there's this one tree that they're not supposed to eat from, but they disobey God and they eat from it anyway. And it says that their eyes are open, they realize that they're naked, so they make themselves some clothes out of fig leaves, and then they hear God coming in the garden. And it says that they hid from him. And then God starts calling out for them, where are you, Adam, Eve? Where are you guys? And so it gets to Adam and he pops out from behind the rock or jumps down out of the tree or wherever he's hiding. And he just kind of comes clean and says, listen, this is what happened. We, we heard you coming and we were afraid because, because we're naked. Because we were naked. Now it's interesting that Adam is identifying himself as naked. We talked about this last week. Even though the limited amount we know about Adam and how he looked and all of that, the one thing we do know is that he's no longer naked because a couple of verses before that, he just made himself a nice little fig leaf suit to wear around, but he sees himself as naked. That's how he is viewing himself and it affects every area of his life. Because he says, I, I hid, why did you hide? Why were you afraid? All due to his nakedness. Doesn't matter it wasn't accurate, it's the way that he saw himself. It affected his behavior, looking for a place to hide, climbing a tree, digging a hole, wherever he found a hit. Affected his behavior. It affected him emotionally. He was feeling fear and anxiety. Why? Going back to his nakedness. It affected him spiritually. Instead of running to God and enjoying the presence of God, he was fleeing from the presence of God. It affected every area of his life. We talked about how we are the same way. You will behave and live your life, not, not just on what is accurate and true about you, but how you see yourself. So, so Adam says that, and then God asks the question, oh, we, we hid, we're afraid because we're naked. And God says, who told you who told you that you're naked? And so we talked about two aspects of that. We talked about who told you. It's not just whether something is accurate or not accurate, but the source of where you're getting those things. Who's telling you this? Are you coming up with how you think about you? Are you gathering that from how other people treat you? Are you gathering that from your situation? Or are you gathering how you see yourself from what God has to say about you? How do you see you? Is that what God told Who told you that? Who told you you should be ashamed? Who told you you have something to hide? Who told you that you need to run away from God instead of to him? Who told you that? And they, who told you that that's what you are? Who told you you are naked? That's your identity. What happened with Adam, he took a detail of his life, and that was just a detail, naked, not naked, those are details, but he allowed it to slip into the place of identity instead of just a detail. There are so many different details about your life, different details about my life. What a mistake it is to allow one of those details to move from the category of details and become your identity. You, you were divorced. That, that's a detail. That's not, you not, are not a divorcee. That's not determine who you are in life. You're young. You're old. Don't, don't see yourself. Those are just details. What does God have to say about you? What does he say? I can't think of any verses where God doesn't use somebody or tells them to consider their age, too young, too old. I can think of different passages that tell us that that's not important. 
Just focus on what God has to say about you. Don't allow a detail, whatever it is. You've disappointed people. I'm a a disappointment. That's a detail. What does God have to say about you? We talked about how important it is, what you think about, and not just anything. Who is telling you that? Letting God's word be the source of how you see yourself, the way you use your mind. We looked at uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. that says, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world but be transformed. So he's talking about conforming, transforming, transformation, confirmation. Things are being formed. Deformation. Where is all of this happening? In your mind. Be transformed. How? By getting your mind, by the renewing of your mind so that you may test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So God has a great will for you, a good, he can't say enough about it. His good will, his pleasing will, his perfect will. God has amazing things. When he designed you in your mother's womb, he had amazing things planned for you and he still does. But the only way to step into it, it's not just whether you're a Christian or not, whether you read your Bible or not, whether you pray or not, those are all important things. But according to Romans chapter 12, verse two, what's it gonna come down to? How you are, operate in your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve and live out and be that man of God that he's called you to be. Be that woman of God called you to be. How you use your mind, it's so important. So that's what we're talking about in this series. And we're going to jump into this morning's message. But before we do that, I want to be clear. This is not just positive think. This isn't just I need to think of myself better. We're just, how does God's word describe us? Let's think, let's think that way. And it's not just about us feeling good about us, that we can all kind of pat ourselves on the back. I'm okay, you're okay. That's not what it's about. It's a blessing to see what God's word has to say about us because we want to go by God's word. So if God's word said we're all just sad, pathetic losers, then I'd be preaching, hey, he's right. We're all sad, pathetic losers. But it doesn't say that about us. It says that we're strong, we're redeemed, we're victorious. So if that's what it says, it is a blessing to us to have that kind of identity and to see ourselves that way. But it doesn't stop there. We're blessed. Why? We're blessed to be a blessing. That God wants to raise up people so they're, they're strong, they're secure as a man of God, as a woman of God, so we can do the things that God has called us to do as men and women of God. Yeah, this thing is winding down. We are in the last days. Jesus is coming back soon. There was a group of us that got together Wednesday night to pray in the upstairs auditorium. We're, we're going to pray again this Wednesday at 7 if you'd like to come. We're just, we're just praying. And one of the things that we talked about is that you have seen the enemy over the last year and a half make some major moves. Even the last month, you've seen the enemy making, making aggressive moves. And it can be a temptation to see, man, the enemy's really doing some stuff. Man, the devil's really on the move. But when you read the word of God, it says that when the enemy makes a move, God doesn't just stand there shrugging his shoulders. There's always a, a superior counter move that surpasses what the enemy was able to do. The, the Bible says in the book of Isaiah, when the enemy comes in like a flood, that the spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against it. In, in the book of Romans, Romans says, where, where sin abounds, there grace much more abounds. We could go on and on talking about that. So if we're in the end times and we're seeing the enemy make serious moves, which we are, that means that, that God is ready to raise some people up and do something that wipes out, that puts to shame, that embarrasses those moves that the enemy feels like he's gaining ground. God wants to humiliate him, but he wants to use people. And I want to be in that group. I want to be in that move. I want us to be a part of what God's going to do. But he needs people who know who they are in Christ and quit him hawing around about, I don't, I don't know if God loves, I'm not sure where I stand with, just get secure in who you are. So you're positioned to be a blessing to other people. You can think of it in a financial sense. 
Your self-image, the way you see yourself. Again, this isn't just positive thinking. It's biblical thinking. Financially, if I can't pay my bills and I'm very unstable when it comes to my finances, that's not a great spot to try to minister to somebody else financially. I'm not going to be able to do a good job helping you meet your needs if I'm still walking around with my pockets pulled, pulled inside out. So when it comes to seeing myself, being an anointed man of God, you being an anointed woman of God, man of God, you've got to know who you are in Christ and have a, a firm footing on that. And that sets you free to start lifting other people up instead of us all just looking at each other saying, I, I don't know, do you know? I'm not, I'm not so sure. I like to think, to, no, I know who I am. I know who I am in Christ. I know in whom I have believed. I, I know what's going on spiritually. That's how Paul started every letter. The, the apostle Paul, he wasn't like, I kind of feel like an apostle, it'd be cool. If I, he knew who he was and that set him free to minister, not caring what other people thought about him. He knew who he was. That was secure footing. John chapter 13, it says when Jesus knew, he knew the hour, he knew who he was, he knew where he was headed, he was returning to the Father, he was secure in those things. That set him free to get up from the table and start scrubbing feet and serving other people because he was so solidified. He, he knew what was going on. He knew who he was. He didn't have to prove himself to anyone and it creates a platform to pour into others. So that, that's why we're talking about this. Not just a, a little emotional pick-me-up series. Who's telling you what you're thinking about? And who says that's your identity? We've got to base it all on the word of God, Amen. It's transformational. I really believe in this series, if you'll apply these things, change how you're thinking about yourself, start your day thinking of you and your day and your situation differently. What's God, what God's word says is true. It's going to transform you. It's going to be life changing. So let's pray one more time. Father, we love you. Father, bless us with revelation and understanding. Enlighten our hearts so we can know you more. Holy Spirit, come and speak to us. Transform us. Teach us how to think. Help us to see like you see. Think how you think. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you looked in a mirror before you came to church this morning? Let me see that mirror real quick. Apparently this mirror didn't look in the mirror before it came to church this morning. So just kind of gauging, some of you were hesitant to lift your hand, so I'll just gauge on my own. Looks like about 80% of you looked in the mirror before you came to church this morning. About 20% of you should have looked in the mirror before you came to church this morning. Now, why, why do you look in a mirror? Why do you look in the mirror? Because you want an accurate understanding of how you look. Right? That, that's why you look in a mirror. And really, apart from a mirror, you don't have the ability to see yourself. A, a, a mirror is what gives you the ability to see this, this is how I look. And you want, you want an accurate understanding of that, right? So you come in front of the mirror, make sure my hair looks okay, uh, this outfit, okay, yep, I, out the door I go. I feel, I feel good about the way that I look, or I need to make changes. You look in the mirror to evaluate this is how I look and to get an accurate picture of that. And apart from a mirror, you have no way of seeing yourself that way. Of course, you can see what you look like from an old picture. But if you want an up-to-date, real-time, this is who I am, how I look, you're going to rely on, on a mirror. You don't get a, a picture out when you were three years old. What a cute little guy. 
Today's going to be a great day and head out the door. I'm looking, I'm looking good. No, you want something that's accurate, real, real time. And that if you didn't have a mirror, you'd have no way of seeing how you look accurately. Have you ever had a day where you were just, it's just one of those days where you feel good about you, right? For whatever it is, maybe it's your new haircut. Maybe it's those new, those new pants or for Pastor Josiah's slacks. I think you call them for your, your new slacks, your new slacks. You're just, your outfit, something about the way your clothes are fitting. You are, you're feeling it. You know what I mean? Nobody knows what I mean? Well, sometimes there's people that feel good about themselves. It's a good thing we're talking about this. One of those days where you just feel like, you know what? You're putting out the vibe. You're confident going into work. You know that you look good. And you're feeling great. Everything's just coming together. And so you just, you feel good about you. Have you ever had one of those days and then you walk by a mirror, you go to the bathroom and you wash your hands and you look up and you realize you don't look as good as you thought that you look. That outfit, it doesn't fit you the way that you thought. The way you looked in those pants, you don't look that way. Or that you thought your hair was laying just right. Nope, it's not one of those days. Have you ever had that experience? You're so confident, it's like, boo, all the confidence just drops out of you. You went to the bathroom all sure of yourself and you come shuffling out. I'm gonna take the rest of the day off. You, I mean, you're just, you're just done. Because the feedback the mirror gave you. Now, it seems to me that some mirrors, that they just give you, they give you different perspective on yourself than others. I don't know if you've experienced this. Some mirrors, it's like, that, that is my mirror. I love that mirror. And other mirrors, it's like, oh, I hate that mirror. For me, one of the mirrors that I, I don't enjoy, I don't know what it is, is the, the mirror when I go to get my hair cut at the, at the barber shop, which might explain why I've avoided the barber shop for way too long. Something about when I go, you got the little cape on, wrapped around your neck, and you have to stare at the mirror. That, to me, that's one of the most discouraging periods of time in my life. The longer I'm looking at myself, I don't know if it's the lighting, I don't know if it's the, the mirror, I pray to God it's not, it's not accurate, but uh, the longer I, I look, it's just like, I'm a toad, I look, I'm, I'm hideous. I'm texting my wife, I'm so sorry, I'm sorry. I'm hard to look at, it's difficult, I'm wincing. I'm Googling plastic surgeons near me. I mean, it's come home and just cry in my wife's arms for, for hours. Right? Have you ever had that experience when you're getting your hair cut and it's just, you, I mean, it's, you walk out of there just discouraged. So it seems like there's some mirrors for whatever reasons, like, man, I look terrible. And then there's other mirrors that seem to be like your friends or something. We, we used to have a mirror in our bathroom that was a full length mirror. But when it was put on the wall, there's little brackets about halfway down. And I think it kind of bent the mirror a little bit. And somehow it was concave. I don't know what it was about the mirror, but it had a slimming effect. So when you stood in front of that mirror, it was like, I'm in my prime. This is as good as I've ever, I've ever looked. Just the way that it, you know, it, was, it was bent or whatever. So some mirrors make you look good. Some mirrors maybe make you look bad. But really, that, that's not what you're after when you're looking in a mirror. You're looking in a mirror because you want something accurate. You want to know, you want to know the truth. That's why you don't fix your hair, get ready in front of like a funhouse mirror. You want something that's going to tell you the way things really are, right? That's why you look in a mirror. We're all on the same page, the way that mirrors function? The Bible is truth. The Bible is accurate. The Bible is trustworthy. It's, it's God-breathed, God-inspired. 
We're all on the same page with that? It's trustworthy, it's accurate, it's truth. But it's also a mirror. In James chapter one, the Bible describes itself, part of its function in our life is like a mirror. It operates in our life like a mirror. So that we, can, we can look in this and just like a mirror, you have no other way of really knowing who you are. You have no accurate way to get a feel for, for who you are other than a mirror. You've got to spend time looking in this mirror, in the word of God, if you really want to know who you are. And apart from it, all you're gonna get is weird distortions. The word of God is a mirror. So I can look in the word and I'll use, I'll use being loved as an example. I can look into this mirror and I see myself, huh, I'm loved. God, God loves me. This mirror, when I look at myself, it lets me know God loves me so much. He sent his own son to, to die in my place. That's how much he loves me. He loves me so much. He has every hair on my head numbered. His love for me is so intense and so strong that no force in all the universe can stop it or knock me out of it and keep God from loving it. Nothing can keep me from the love of God. That's what it says in this mirror when I look in it. But there I might get other feedback from other sources that runs counter to what I'm seeing in this mirror. Have you ever felt unloved? And I just don't, I just don't feel loved your feelings, your emotions. I just don't feel like God loves me. I don't feel like he cares. I don't feel like anyone loves about me. You might, you, you might feel that way about yourself. By your own reason and your own logic, you can evaluate yourself and your performance and, and who you are and kind of stand back and just consider your life and your giftings and all your shortcomings and come to the conclusion, I'm not lovable. Who could love me? I just don't deserve to be loved. I, I am just an unlovable person. You can, you can conclude that on your own. Other people can tell you that you're not loved. You can look at your situation and see the things that you're dealing with in your family or with your finances or with your health and come to the conclusion based on, on the results you're seeing around you. God must not love me. He must not care about me that much. But none of those things is supposed to supersede what we see in the mirror of God's word. And we've got to be careful not to allow all those other sources of inaccurate feedback, silence with the word of God is saying about, about who we are. Because looking in a mirror is the way to get accurate, up to speed, real-time understanding of who you are. And it's important that you know who you are in Christ. So I want to take a few minutes this morning and talk about how important it is that you see yourself in line with the word of God and a couple of the oppositions or forces that might try to convince you otherwise, and we'll use King David as an example. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16. First Samuel chapter 16. Samuel was a prophet that God, God used to speak through. He was uh, the voice of God speaking to people at that time. He had anointed Saul to be king of Israel. And then God said, you know what? It's time to move on. He's, Saul hasn't kind of gone along with my, my program. He's disobeyed me. So he tells Samuel, go to this guy named Jesse's house and anoint one of his sons. I'll show you when you get there. Anoint one of his sons and he's gonna be the next king of Israel. Anoint him as king of Israel. So Samuel gets there, gets to Jesse's house. He says, hey, have, have all your sons come before me. And one son after another comes before him. And every time God says, nope, nope, 
Nope. Till all the sons have passed by. And that's where we're picking up the story. First Samuel chapter 16. Start reading in verse 10. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? Then he said, there remains the youngest. And there he is keeping the sheep, pointing to him way off in a pasture somewhere. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for he is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. This, this is a powerful moment. In this moment, it's like God is giving his take, his perspective on David. It's the word of God. So it's, it's accurate. It's true. It's like David is getting an opportunity to look into the mirror of the word of God. He says, this is, you are the one. You're chosen. I'm going to anoint you, make you king. He's looking into the mirror. You're royalty. I'm going to give you authority. I'm going to make you influential. You're going to make, your life is going to make impact. That's what, that's what David is seeing as he hears from God or looks into the mirror of God's word, which really isn't that different from what you and I see when we look into the mirror of God's word. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2 that you are a royal priesthood. You're royalty. Romans chapter 5 says that we are to reign in this life through Jesus Christ. I like the amplified version. It says to reign as kings. To reign, not, not someday, reign when in this life. To reign in this life. That we know we've been given authority to use the name of Jesus, that we represent him. You are, you are anointed, that we've also been given God's spirit. So the things that David was seeing when he looked into the, this, this mirror, very, very similar to what you and I can see if we'll look into this mirror. You, you are a royal priesthood. You're anointed to reign in this life. You've been given God's own spirit. That, that's what he's seeing. But when we get to the next chapter, not everybody has the same perspective. You and I can see things in the word of God and then go out to, to live your life. Maybe you've caught a verse, you've been, you've been taught something, you see something in your devotional, you're super excited, and then you go out and other people don't see, seem to see you the way that God's word seems to see you. That's what happened with David. We get to the next chapter, chapter 17, and it starts off and David is back to taking care of his father's sheep. So it's like he got anointed. The man of God lays hands on him. God speaks and says, you are the one. You're anointed. You are royalty. And his dad was like, cool. Well, those sheep aren't going to take care of themselves. Out you go. Those sheep aren't going to pick fleas off themselves. Get to it, boy. So his, his dad, which is probably one of the most influential people in his life, didn't see things consistently with how God saw him. Then later in that chapter, his dad sends him to deliver bread and cheese to his brothers who are off at war. That's not, that's not how you treat someone that you see as the king, as royalty. You send him out to take care of the sheep. You, you make him a, a delivery or an errand boy. It's not the way that you treat someone. So his dad didn't seem to see him the way that the prophet of God saw him. Then later in that chapter, David's dealing with his older brothers. Let me read to you from 1 Samuel 17, verse 28. It says, but when David's older, oldest brother, Eliab, heard David talking to the men, he was angry 
What are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about you and your pride and deceit. You just want to see a battle. So his, his dad doesn't see him as a king, doesn't see him as somebody who carries the presence of God. He goes to see his brothers. His oldest brother says, what are you even doing here? I know about your pride. I know about your deceit. You arrogant little liar. That's, that's not how you talk to royalty, is it? Someone that you view as the king of the nation that you're serving in that army someone who's been anointed to carry the spirit of God, that he's not seeing him. He doesn't have the same perspective on him as what God had to say about him. You arrogant little liar. Why don't you get back to those few sheep? All I see you as is a shepherd and a mediocre one at that. If David had allowed other people's perspective to convince him that God's word was wrong, it would have derailed him from fulfilling the call of God on his life. You and I are gonna to have to deal with other people's perspectives and make a choice. Am I gonna stay with what God's word has to say about me? Because my friends don't seem to see it that way. My parents don't seem to see me that way. I feel like God, God is saying this about me, but I'm not seeing other people view me that way. It's dangerous to begin to rely on other people's perspectives about us more than we rely on the word of God. Even the king of Israel, who had been anointed as well, didn't see David. This is my protege, my predecessor. He viewed him as a, a, a pest to be dealt with, tried to kill him. The most influential people in David's life didn't see him. Their perspective was different, didn't line up with God's perspective on him. This can be a big one, especially if you're wired like me and you want people to like you. That's a potential weakness of me. I want people to like me. I want you to like me. I've got, I've got to hold that in check because you, you maybe feel it too. You want people to see your giftings. You want people to see that you're good and you're special and see that God's, God's using you in certain ways. You, you can start to rely on other people. And if you're not careful, you can actually become a pleasing men instead of pleasing God. Because you're relying on, I want you to say something good about me. I'm just looking for you to give me that nod of approval. I just want you to say, you think that I'm doing a great job. That, that's not where our loyalty is supposed to be. That God is the one that I'm supposed to be relying on, what he has to say about me. I heard a story. I think my mom and dad are here this morning. I think you told me this story, dad, of a horse, a horse that a farmer learned, taught, to, taught to count that you could tell this horse any number and, and that horse could count to the number. So people would come from all around to, to see this. It was amazing. You could tell the horse count to five and the horse would pound the ground five times. It was amazing. Tell the horse count to 21. Sure enough, that horse would, would count to 21. It's blowing people's minds. You can tell them any number and that horse somehow knows what you're saying and he knows how to count and he'll hit the ground as many times as you tell him. People were amazed and then someone caught on to something and realized that horse doesn't really know how to count. That horse is clever enough to watch people's expressions. And when they tell him a number and they start watching, he'll just watch them and hit the ground until people go, oh, that's amazing. And then he stops hitting the ground. And so you can tell him 12, and that horse will just, 11, 12, amazing. And he just stops and he knows, gets the little sugar cube or whatever. That he was just watching people's expression. And that's how I can get, that's how we can get when we start to rely on people's expression, people's perspective of us. Is this pleasing to you? Am I doing a good job? Do, do you like this? Just waiting for feedback from people instead of keeping our eyes focused on what God has to say about us and his, and his perspective. First Thessalonians chapter five says, the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. The one who calls you is faithful, and he 
will do it. It's, it's great to have people that can confirm what God's saying about you. That's wonderful. But when people disagree, we can't pursue them and try to earn their approval. God's the one who called you. God's the one that called you. And don't think of calling just as a ministry calling. It applies to that. Wherever you've been positioned, a mom, a dad, a husband, a wife, a teacher, an administrator. God's called you. He's put you in that position. And the one who calls you, he's the one that's faithful. So don't go chasing the approval of man. Keep your heart lined up with, with him and rely on what he has to say about you. And don't let other people's perspective pull you off track and derail you from what he's called you, what he's called you to do. The one who called you is faithful and he will do it. Your job isn't to get other people to believe in you. Your job is to believe what God has to say about you. That, that, that is your job. Not to try to convince other people that it's true. Just believe God that what he said about you is true. Relying on other people's perspective is dangerous. Other, whatever people say about you, it's never as valid as what you're seeing in the mirror of God's word. If it's encouraging, if it's discouraging, nothing is reliable as the word of God. So one of the forces that'll try to move you from seeing yourself accurately is the perspective of men, even people close to you. David's dad, brothers, the king. Later in his life, his own son, Absalom, you're not king material, tries to drive him out off the throne. People's perspective. Another force that can work to, to push us away from what God has to say about us is looking at results. When we look at results, God told David, you're, you're the king of Israel. That's what the mirror said. That's what the word of God said to him. You're anointed. I'm going to use you. You're going to lead God's people. You are royalty. He wasn't seeing those kinds of results in his life. Where, where does a king live? A king lives in a palace. It's not where David was living for a significant portion of his life. He was living in his dad's house for a while. Then he was living on the run living in the woods, living in caves, living in hideouts. That, that, that is not a result consistent with being the king of the nation. What do kings do? Kings direct the armies of the nation. That, that's what kings do. What was David doing? He was running from the army of, of the nation. He's, seeing the, he's not seeing the results that a king would typically see. And so again, he has to make a decision. Am I going to rely on the results, the things that are, are happening around me, or am I going to rely on God's word? At one point in time, David wasn't even living in the nation of Israel. He was living with the enemies, the Philistines. We're given a, a town named Ziklag, and he's, he's serving the, the, the enemy foreign king. That's not consistent with, with the life of someone who's a king. Now, here's the danger. When you aren't seeing results and you know what God's word says, the temptation is to reinterpret God's word to match the results that you're seeing. If David had decided, man, I remember that day with, when the word of God came to me and it said this about me. What if I need to reinterpret that? When it said king, you know, I was thinking king of Israel because that's what he said. But maybe he meant, maybe he meant like king of the sheep, you know, that I'm going to be a shepherd. I'm going to be like a really good shepherd or something. I'm going to reinterpret to match the situation, to match the results that I am, that I am seeing. People do this all the time. They see things in God's word, but they give their results and what's going on around them more influence and power and credibility than what they're seeing in the mirror of God's word. So when I look in here and I, I, I see that it says I'm supposed 
supposed to go from victory to victory, but I look at results, well, then maybe, maybe what it means, I'm going to reinterpret that just to kind of describe the things that are going on in my life. I know that the Bible says, when I look in that mirror, it says, no good thing is he going to withhold from me. But, you know, I'm, I'm not seeing the results of that in my life, so maybe it means, maybe it means sometimes he'll give me things that, that are okay. They reinterpret, I'm supposed to be victorious. I'm supposed to be healthy. I'm supposed to be led by the Spirit of God. And if they're not seeing the results, then they go back and they try to manipulate and reinterpret the Word of God to match their results. If David would have done that, if he would have looked at the results, I'm on the run, I'm obviously not a king, people are chasing me, I don't live in the palace, therefore I am no king. He would have derailed what God had called him to do and spent the rest of his life being a, a mediocre level shepherd. That's what happens in people's lives. What does God's word have to say about you? How do you think of you? Who told you you're naked? Who told you that you're not good enough? Who told you that you don't have a bright future? Who told you that God's holding out on you, holding back from you? Who, who told you those things? Because you didn't see it in the mirror. You didn't see it in the word of God, that you've got some other source of those things. And we've got to renew our minds to the word of God and not go on results. Look at the life of Abraham. Romans chapter four, just as another example. Romans chapter four, starting in, in verse 18. You know the story of Abraham, that God had told him, you're gonna be the father of many nations. He, here's, he even renamed him, so every time he said his name, that, that's who I am. He wanted Abraham to see himself that way. But time was going by and there weren't any results. Listen to this in verse 18. That's what it's talking about. It's talking about Abraham. Verse 18 says, who, Abraham, contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken. How, how did he become what the word that was spoken about him said? So that, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so, so shall your descendants be that he continued to hope and he continued to believe against hope. That's what allowed him to arrive at the destination that God had described for him, that he didn't go by results. He went by what God had said. Let's continue reading verse 19. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. It says, as time went by, Abraham refused to just look at the situation and the results and what he's seeing around him. He didn't, he didn't even consider his own, own body as good as dead. He didn't consider his wife's dried up womb. He didn't consider those things. He considered the word. Here's what God's word says. And because he kept focused on the word of God, he just kept his nose on that, on that mirror, seeing what God had to say about him. It says that he didn't diminish in faith, even though a decade goes by, two decades goes by, close to 25 years goes by, and he's almost hundred years old. It says that he, he grew in faith. He grew stronger. Why? Because he kept, the more time the enemy gave him, that was the more time to spend with the promise of God. When there's a delay in seeing the results that you want to see, make it backfire on the devil. The, the more time you give me, you're just letting this seed get deeper in my heart. Go ahead, give me more time. I'm just gonna dive into this word. I'm gonna plant it like never before. This is gonna backfire on you. The more time you give me till I see the manifestation of what God's word says, you're just giving me more. more uh, my sowing season just got longer and longer. He was growing in faith. Years and years go by, enemies trying to discourage him. He's getting more excited. Because he knew that every day that went by, he was closer to seeing that promise fulfilled. It didn't discourage him, it caused him to get more excited. 
There's 125 days till Christmas. I checked this morning. My kids haven't mentioned it. They'll get excited. There's probably some level of excitement at 125 days. But do you think the excitement this morning in the heart of a child with 125 days to Christmas, greater or lesser than when there's three days to Christmas? Three days to Christmas, they can hardly control themselves. Eight hours to Christmas, they can't even fall asleep, right? Because the closer you are, the more excited you get. So Abraham grew in faith. His hope was growing stronger because he was so confident. His time was going by. I, it's, I'm just getting closer. Every day it goes by. I'm just getting closer to that promise being fulfilled. Don't, don't allow results to dictate how you see yourself and allow you to start to doubt the word of God. Keep, you've got to keep sowing, renewing your mind. I'm just going to sow this word. I'm going to sow this word. I'm transformed by the renewing of my mind with the word of God. Now, let me say this real quick. Results are important. Results matter. So if you're not seeing results, there is a time to evaluate and ask some questions. If you feel like God's called me to be a businessman, but I'm seeing no, no success, about to go bankrupt, there's a time to ask questions. Maybe I need to change something here. God's called you. He's anointed you. If you're a husband, he's called you to be a husband. If you're a wife, if you're a mom, a dad, he's called you to that role. You're in that role because he's blessed you with that role. But if things aren't going well, you can't just shrug your shoulders and say, hey, my marriage is falling apart, but hey, God's called me. Just, there's a time to ask questions and evaluate the problems, right? But there's an enormous difference between evaluating a problem and asking questions with the mindset that I, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm, I'm in over my head. I, I just, I'm, I'm never gonna figure this thing out. You'll never find solutions that way. Very, very different to be faced with a problem and address that problem with a confidence. I'm the very person God has anointed to solve this problem. God's put me in this position and there's issues I have to deal with, but you know, you know why he put me here? Because I'm the guy, I'm the lady that he has given me the mind of Christ. I'm the one ordained to solve this problem and overcome this obstacle. When you address the problems and the difficulties that you're facing, with that kind, I know what God's word has to say about me. I know how he's positioned me, how he's gifted me. You will ap uh, approach problems completely differently than when your mind is filled with doubt and fear. The, the way you see yourself will be a lid. You'll never rise higher than how you see you. When you see, man, the, as a dad, dealing with problems with my kids, man, I, I don't, I, the, my kids need a different dad. I don't know what to do. Or, God, I've got issues that need sorted out. But I know I'm in this position I'm specifically anointed to deal with these kids. And I know I'm going to get the solution. I know, Father, you, you already know how this is going to work out. And I'm the guy for the job. You approach it completely differently. You are anointed. You are special. You are gifted. You are unique. You've got to believe that you are uniquely qualified and anointed to do the things that God has called you to do. You've got to believe it. Uniquely qualified. That you carry the presence of God. You know, the Bible says if God is for you, who can be against you? It says that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Paul asked that, don't you know? Don't you realize you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Now, what was the point of saying that? What was he trying to get at? It's not just that you are a structure. You're a building. What, what was significant about that building? And that's where the presence of God was. That's where the presence of God rested. So when he says, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, you, you're the temple. Eh, I'm like a building. No, I'm the place where God's presence is. 
God's presence is with me. It rests on me. I contain the presence of God. We won't won't take time this morning, but you can read through the Bible and see people, read through the life of Joseph that experienced success and blessing and favor and victories. And it's always a tribute for the Lord was with him, for the Lord was with him. You've got to know, man, everywhere I go, God is with me. And if God's with me, who who can be against me? To know that about yourself and to know you are uniquely anointed. One of the things that keeps people from engaging and using their giftings, using the anointing that God's uniquely given you, is comparison. Comparison can be deadly. When you compare yourself, even in the body of Christ, Paul talked about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's talking about the body. He said, if, if the ear says to the eye, you know, I'm, I'm no eye. I can't do the things the eye can do. Therefore, I'm not part of the body. What a dangerous, dangerous thing. Because the ear is special. The ear is gifted. It's just not gifted the way that the eye is gifted. If the foot says to the hand, I'm no hand. I am no hand. I'm out. I, I, I can't do. That happens in people's hearts, in people's minds. They see people gifted. They see people anointed. They see people succeeding. And they know I, I'm not like him. He's doing great. I'm not like him. Therefore, I am not great. She's a great mom. I'm not like her. Therefore, I'm not a great mom. He's a great husband. We're so different. Therefore, I, I can't be a great husband. And people, people allow their understanding of who they are to decrease. You, you're uniquely anointed to do what God's called you to do. Because you're, you're the mom of your kids, not her kids. God's uniquely anointed you to be the parent of your children, to watch over your grandchildren. So you've got a special gifting for those kids. It's not one size fits all. They were all different. Comparison, comparison robs people. They start to see themselves as less than because we compare ourselves to other people. He's a great businessman. I'm not gifted the same way. Therefore, I can never succeed as a businessman. Those are lies from the devil. Who told you that? What does God's word have to say about you? Don't allow yourself to compare yourself with other people and decrease what you believe God can do in and through you. You're gifted. Romans chapter 12 says that you are gifted. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says that you are gifted. 1 John 2.20 says that you have an anointing from the Holy One. 1 John 4.4 says, greater is he who is in you than he that is in this world. You've got to look in the mirror and see those things about yourself and and just dig in, renew your mind according to those things. Other people's perspective, they don't don't see me that way. Who cares? That, That doesn't matter. This is what the mirror has to say. You've got to let the mirror, the mirror of God's word, be the voice of truth in your life. You ever put on an outfit and you know you look bad and you just want to run it by somebody? No, you look, you look great. It looks awesome. You, no, because I can walk over to the mirror. I know that you're just trying to be nice. I know that's not true because what you're saying doesn't line up. I, I look dumb in, the, in this shirt or blouse. Sorry, Pastor Josiah. Just kidding. You've got to rely on the word of God. For that feedback. Look at one last story from the life of David, then we'll pray. 1 Samuel chapter 17. When David fought Goliath, he had to resist the temptation to try to be like everybody else. He started talking about Goliath and says, I, I can deal with this. And the people mocked him, laughed at him. He's, you're no soldier. You're the the bread and cheese delivery guy. No, seriously, I I can take this guy out. I'd I'd be glad to do it. Finally, he comes before King Saul. 
King Saul says, I, man, I don't, I don't know. I, you're, not, you're not really a warrior. You're not trained. This guy's been killing people from the time he was a youth. Finally, David pleads his case and Saul says, okay, man, if you want to have at it, give it a shot. First Samuel chapter 17, verse 38, it says, then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the sword over it, and took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things before. I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them into his shepherd's bag. Then, armed only with his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistines. He's about to go and and deal with this problem. He had the belief, I'm uniquely equipped and prepared. God has positioned me for such a time as this. God has equipped me to do what he's called me to do and not allow the pressure from others. Listen, you can go, but here's here's how we do things around here. We we put on armor. We use swords. Whenever I fight, I like to wear this bronze helmet. Here, put this thing on. I like to wear this this, uh, breastplate. Go ahead and fasten, fasten that on. If those things work so well, then why don't you put them on and go out there and, and fight them? If you've got so much confidence in that armor, well, then, then use it instead of strapping it on somebody else. David had the insight. He trusted. He'd been spending enough time, even though his dad sent him back out to take care of the sheep, spent enough time meditating on the word of God, knowing, God, you've anointed me. God, you're with me. Your spear will never leave me or forsake me. He was getting that word in his heart. So when it came time and other people were trying to get him to operate like other people, he knew, no, that's not how I operate. Here's my giftings. Here's how, here's how. if he would have tried to go out there stumbling around with a, a shield and a, a, a sword and a bronze helmet, the story might have ended differently than the story that we know. He walked out there with just a staff, shepherd's bag, and a sling. Even Goliath, when he runs out to meet him, Goliath laughs at him, says, you gotta be kidding me. What, what am I, a dog? You're coming out here with a stick? You're gonna play fetch? You've gotta be joking. I'm gonna feed you to the birds of the air. What did David say? You come at me with a spear and a shield and a sword, He didn't mention the staff, mention his stick. He didn't mention the stones. What did he say? I come to you in the name of the Lord. I come to you in the name of the Lord. He knew I'm I'm coming to you, but I carry the presence of God. God is with me. I'm not relying on any of these things. I know God is with me. I'm relying on his presence with me. You've got to believe you are uniquely equipped, anointed, ordained for the position God has for you, for the calling God has for you to do the things that God has called you to do and not try to operate like somebody else, not try to be like somebody else, but to be the you that God has called you to be. The the, the thing that they saw as a weakness was actually his strength. You're different. You're not like us. You don't look like a warrior. You don't have warrior gear. You haven't been trained. They saw all as weakness. That's the very way that God used to defeat Goliath. I come in the name of the Lord. That's what I'm relying on. God's presence is with me. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You step into that situation, not not with your own giftings and skills and relying on them, with the presence of God. That when you go to work, I'm I'm not coming to work in my car. I'm coming to work in the name of the Lord. You're not going into work in your uniform. You're going into work in the name of the Lord, carrying the presence of God. I'm not walking into the meeting in my suit. I'm coming into the meeting in the name of the Lord, relying on God's presence with you and having a confidence. Results or no results. People like me, don't like me. That's the way Paul operated. I'm I'm not a man pleaser. 
I know in whom I have believed. He who called me is faithful and he'll do it. I've just got to be faithful to him and continue to keep my mind lined up with what God's word has to say about me. Just relying on the word of God, keeping that mirror before us. There's a story of King David when he went, was living in Ziklag. They're out raiding people, winning victories, but they come back to Ziklag and someone's come and raided them. The city's burnt down. All of their possessions are gone. Everything, everything's gone. Their wives are gone. Their kids are gone. And they get there and they, they see what happened and they're heartbroken. It says that they wept until they didn't even have strength. Mighty warriors, powerful men, sobbing, so heartbroken until they have no strength, just laying on the ground. And then they started to turn on David. They were gonna kill David. There's a verse that says, but David, but David encouraged himself in the Lord. But David, which means he must have had situation, results, people's perspective that did start to press on him. David, we're gonna kill you. We don't see you as a leader anymore. We want you gone. We hate you. The results, not only am I not king, I'm, I'm getting wiped out. I have, no, I have nothing. The only thing I have is my friends and they wanna kill me. Situation, people's perspective can start to press on us. But what David did, was like, fellas, just give me a minute. He encouraged himself in the Lord. We're not told what that looks like. But I have a suspicion that in his mind and in his heart, he went back to that day when Samuel called him out and said, this is the one. This is the one. Let me put this anointing, this oil on your forehead. Let it run down on you. Let the Spirit of God begin to move and fill you and rest on you. That Spirit of God will never leave you. He's going to be with you and be your strength. He's going to help you do the things that you don't know how to do. You're intimidated. You just keep resting in the, in the Spirit of God and trusting in Him. That David went back to that moment in his mind. Just spent some time meditating on that. God, I know what you've said about me. I'm not seeing that. Nothing is consistent with what you said, but I'm holding on like Abraham against hope, in hope believed, and through that was able to see the manifestation of what God had spoken about him. So I want to take a few minutes to encourage ourselves in the Lord like David did. God, here's what I'm dealing with. Here's what I'm feeling. Here's what I'm seeing. Here's my situation. People think I'm a doofus. People don't see anything in me, but God, here's what your word says about me. Here's what you have to say about me. Fill me fresh with your Holy Spirit. Let that, let that anointing break every yoke. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Well, that's this week's message. Thanks for joining us. To stay connected with us throughout the week, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can also watch previous week's services on our YouTube page.